It's Thursday, May 19th. And today we're talking about Tastop gets purchased to consolidate the digital transformation industry. Accessibility pays off for Fable. Forma AI proves that AI can help incentivize salespeople. Round 13 launches the Digital Asset Market Fund. And Charge Lab raises $15 million USD thanks to a pivot. Let's get started. First up, Tastop gets purchased to consolidate the digital transformation industry. Alex, what is a digital transformation industry? Very good question. It sounds like um, consultants speak. It sounds like Gardner Report speak, and I think it is. It's basically a fancy way to see the tools and technology to help large enterprise digitize their business. Okay, now I wanted to say gets acquired, and you wouldn't let me say gets acquired. You wanted to write was purchased. Why did you want to say purchased? Well, you know, we'll get into what this purchased means here. Um, but this company was not sold. It was it was purchased. It was bought. Um, let, so let, you know, if you go to what happened here, there's an eight year relationship with Tasktop and PlanView working together. Um, and I think that resulted in a champion at PlanView saying, hey, we're, we've been given a green light to go do acquisitions. We know these guys. I'm going to pound a table and buy them. So this was not something that, you know, Tasktop woke up one morning saying, let's go run a sales process. They were purchased by a partner of eight years. And do we have any details on the purchase or on the deal? Well, the detail the details were provided. Um, so we don't know how good of a deal it was, um, what the purchase price was. But I think for multiple reasons, you can believe that it was generous, that everyone did well, and they chose not to, to release the data. Now, what's more interesting to me is why we believe this company was purchased and what the rationale for it could be. So I want to know. Give me your rationale. Um, so, you know, you're looking at a company. This, so let's be clear. Plan View is owned by two private equity firms. They were acquired by another from another private equity firm for one point six billion dollars about in two years ago. So, private equity firms, when they acquire a company, they make money in one of two ways. It's either through financial engineering or through improving the overall operations and bottom line. Um, I think financial engineering is much harder to do when interest rates are low. And when you buy one, when two private equity firms are buying from one private equity firm, probably all financial engineering has been done. So you've got these two private equity firms own plan view. They're looking to improve results. Uh, one classic way to do it is to consolidate an industry. And, you know, when you purchase a competitor, a competitor adjacent company, it lets you a improve revenues because in this case it's an adjacent industry. So, Hey, we can now sell more to the same customer while removing costs from the business. You know, you don't need two CFOs, you don't need two salespersons to cover one. So this seems like a strategic purchase um, and it gets a company that has a fair amount of size. You're talking about a company that will have 400 million revenue, 1200 employees and 5,000 plus enterprise customers. Now you always say that um, the best companies get purchased, not sold. Yeah. So what usually happens and how is this sort of a different, uh, a different process? So. Let's you know. Let's say when your company is being bought, like or acquired, you someone. It's very rare that the company wakes up, an acquired company wakes up in the morning, going, "Hey, we need a strategic purchase. Let's go find the best company and acquire it." Um, so what's usually happening? An acquisition or a purchase is being done by someone that's basically saying, "This is important to me. This is going to be strategic. It's going to improve my business." And if you just met that, if you're the person that's in charge and banging the table. Um, for an acquisition, 
if you just met a company a couple of months ago, no matter what diligence you did, your level of confidence probably is not as high as someone you've known for six, seven years. So you're probably paying them a lower price. You can put more, you know, more terms on the, on the purchase. So what happens, the best companies that get bought is they're either well-known in the industry to be an excellent company and a strategic asset, or they have a lot of partners they've been talking for a while. Maybe they're actual partners you've done business with. Maybe it's just companies they catch up with, but there's usually a relationship and understanding and trust between acquiring company and the purchase and the company that they're buying. Now, flip side, if you're being sold, let's say you say, okay, we have five months runway left. Um, or I'm the founder. I have no, no desire to do this. Now you start knocking on doors and you hire a bunch of investment bankers and you get a bake off. You'll, you'll get interest, but there's no way it's going to be very hard for the two or three people sponsoring this acquisition to pay top price, to put their career at risk for someone they don't know as well. It's like buying and, a used car. There's information asymmetry yeah. in that case. And so there's a premium that has to be done, which is why I love it. The best companies uh, get bought, not sold. They're not marketed. They know each other. Uh, who's the winner in this deal? Who who could who could have won? Who could have made some cash? Well, who set up well for the future? Uh, again, without having any details of the terms, I think everyone's actually done pretty well from this deal. This, this deal feels like one because, again, difference between being sold versus bought. Sold, you sort of take the best price. You, you wipe your hands clean. You're done. Here, I feel, you know, you've got a company in, uh, in TaskTop that basically raised money, you know, not that long ago, probably had a lot of runway and had to have a very generous offer that made a lot more sense, either an immediate upside or long-term upside because a combined entity could be more valuable. Yeah. So I think TaskTop and its investors made it off well. PlanView probably made a purchase they've used very strategic and eventually the PE firms that own PlanView have done well. Now, I hope the employees did well. Without knowing either company really well, I don't know if there's a good incentive plan. I don't know if there's good uh, options, but this this feels like a company a deal where there's a lot of winners. I love that. I love deals with uh, when everyone wins together. So give me a summary. Um, if you're listening, you're part of the TechTO community. It's your first time hearing of TaskTop. It's your first time hearing of PlanView. Uh, you never knew that companies got uh, the best companies got bought, not sold. What can you take away for your startup and your technology company? What can you learn from this deal? Well. I, I think we've already banged it that you want to be bought and not sold. Um, so I think the key thing here is start building relationships with potential acquirers early on. Not saying, hey, you want to sell, but you're better off knowing your competitors. You're better off knowing your potential partners. And there's a lot of fear in founders. And there's a lot of VC firms that'll say, don't do that. But like, it is better to have those relationships because where's some source? You have champions that you can do partnerships with. Or maybe people that go to other companies that you can do partnerships with. There's, ne you know, spend the time to get to know the people in your industry. Um, and I think that's that's a key takeaway here. And, and second of all, if you want to be uh, sell to enterprises, have a sexy industry like digital transformations. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, like I'm reading about these companies and I feel like this was written by a consultant and partnered with Gardner. And there's a lot of money made just to be naming this industry. That's right. If you don't have a magic quadrant named after your industry, you're doing it all wrong. Uh, yeah, I love it. Hey, if you're looking for more insights on what's happening in the digital strategic transformation industry or just the Canadian tech ecosystem in general, more likely the Canadian tech ecosystem in general, you've got to subscribe to our TechTO newsletter. Alex, give us a sneak peek into what we can expect in our inboxes tomorrow. Well, it's actually what I'm most excited for. Yeah, I think it's a long weekend this weekend. I'm never sure. I, I, I've been told my kids will be home on Monday. So 
hopefully that means I have some downtime and there's gonna be lots of recommended media to read, to consume. And I'm looking forward to actually getting some interesting articles or insights. I'd say what else I'm looking to is beyond our newsletter is we've, we've started dropping some new podcasts uh, for our list. You'll be, I think there's a three commas podcast being dropped soon and you'll have a, uh, rocket ship 2022 podcast. So look out for that. Learn about these great billion dollar companies and how they got there or learn about the cultures of companies that you may want to work for. I love that. And all that will be in the newsletter, right? Yes. So you got to subscribe at techtoorg slash newsletter. All right. Next up, accessibility pays off for Fable. Okay. Let's start with the payoff. What's the payoff here? Wow. Usually I thought we were trying to bury the, the round, the raises, um, <laughs> uh, Fable, Fable announced a new round yesterday, uh, or this week at 10.5 million USD led by five Elms capital. So they seem to be doing well. The company has revenues in, in the seven figure range. So they haven't disclosed exactly how much with customers like Microsoft, Slack, Shopify, Walmart, and Meta. So big enterprises want Fable to our, our, our Fable's customers. It's enabling to continue growing by raising capital. Okay, so now let's talk about Fable. If it's your first time hearing of Fable, uh, I think you're behind the times. What does Fable do? So Fable helps companies make their sites more accessible. Now, historically, when companies make their, you know, the website their apps more accessible, they use a bunch of tools and standard procedures, and they don't really consider that, you know, accessibility in the design phase. What Fable does is they offer basically a marketplace that helps you find the people that you want to make the site accessible to and gets them involved in the design process who provide feedback. So from day one, you can basically build your products with accessibility in mind. What they're going to be releasing sooner or just recently released is a bunch of videos and the tutorials on how you can think about the process and how you can do this without, I guess, if you, if you can't afford to access your marketplace. Right. So it's basically bringing experts to come and comment on your design, you know, your process, your diff, different diversity of opinions and insights on how to build your products. How big do you think the market for internet accessibility is? <clears throat> well, according to some research out there, uh, a large part portion of the population has a hard time interacting, accessing internet and mobile websites. Uh, you know, these are people, you know, you naturally think about people that are, that are hearing or visually impaired, but people who've had a stroke, the elderly, people with Parkinson's all have trouble. So it estimates about 15% of the population. Wow. Okay. So it's a big, it's a big market out there. And so far, I mean, it seems like they've got some real traction here. Uh, are you impressed with the numbers that you've seen and the traction that you've seen um, from an outsider's perspective here? So. I'm impressed with what I've seen so far. Um, the next question I usually ask is, can this be venture scale? Can this be fabled unicorn um, for fable? So love the execution, love the problem they're solving. I'm not sure. Um, it's a marketplace. I'm not sure if those revenues are the GMV or that's their take. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're talking about some really big early adopter enterprises. Again, don't know how many customers have, don't know exact revenues, but my feeling is the revenues you know, the revenue per enterprise is six figures, probably mm -hmm. low to mid. So when I, if I were to do back of, you know, back of the envelope uh, math and thinking what the margins could be, because if this, if this, if this is GMV, their margins are great. Even if it's, I don't think it's a 80%, 90% software type margins. Yeah. I think it's going to be very hard for them to get to, to uh, venture scale. Got it. Well, I guess a lot of these services, they might be able to bring in house and actually capture some of the mar margin yeah. versus the, the, the take rate on the marketplace, right? Well, I also think that the tutorials via video might be a way that, hey, you record us once and you charge a subscription fee. That's nice. That's nice margin. Yeah. Um, but like, 
it's it pains me to say this because I think they're doing excellent work. I think it's a uh, much needed way to change the way we interface with the internet. Yeah, but it's it's you know this is one of the places where as, as an investor you think, okay, is this is this a big enough market? And to a certain extent, I get that feeling to buy here. Five Elms Capital. I'm sure it's a great fund. It's based in Kansas City. Never heard of them. Um, there's four thousand funds in the states. Lots of them will make great investments, but it's not like this is, was, you know, doesn't seem like it was the one that was a lot of people were trying to get in at least. Trust me, Five Elms is saying the same thing about N49PL. Oh, I, I'm sure, and I have no problem with that. <laughs> uh, makes sense. Okay, so if you're you're building your startup uh, here in Canada and you're tuning into the podcast today, what are we learning from the fable story, from the fable fable? Well, I think at first the first thing is here is, look, any technology or any new trend that starts is adopted by the early adopters. And as it goes more and more mainstream, the size of all the customers that they're not serving well become huge. Like you're talking about now, basically everyone's on the internet or use a mobile phone. So you're talking about 15% of the population. So it's what something, you know, people said you're probably worried about accessibility since the start, but it was hard to pay attention to it and wasn't necessarily economically viable. I'm not talking about like, you know, it's probably not even economically viable for small business, let alone, you know, a venture scale business. Yeah, well, 15% of everybody is a big yeah. number, but 15%, yeah, but 15% of early adopters is yeah, not a big like number. It's like three, like, what, when I think on, like in the late 90s, there's 3 million people on the net, right? So or yeah. even 30 million, you're talking about, you know, not a small port. We number, got it, Alex. You're one yeah. of the first people on the internet. We know you've been around. I'm for old. A long time. I know, I know. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> um, I, I think the second thing is when these opportunities scale, mm -hmm. um, the people that solve it will not be the people that started the trend. Because unfortunately, they don't have the mindset. They can try to deal with it, but it's not native to them how to solve it. So I think what's interesting here is you have to have someone new, take a new, pro, uh, you know, basically bring the inclusivity, bring a new way to get the inclusivity to solve the problem. And I get, I bet you these solutions will be better for even people that don't have trouble accessing the internet. Um, I think the second thing to learn here is a lot of companies start by going to SMBs to sell and then going up. Right. Okay, we got SMBs. Let's go to medium-sized business. Let's go to enterprises. I think this company did the right thing here by targeting the mega, mega companies, and you had to because for them, again, fifteen percent of their popular uh, potential customers is huge, and the ROI was much easier to sell to both their customers and probably was also good signaling to their employees. Yeah. So they have to go up, then they have to adjust their margin to go down, which is a bit harder because when you're selling SMBs and making money. Going up to sell enterprises has a bunch, you know, bunch more cost, but it's easier because you know what to do. This is going to be, I think, much more difficult way to go, but it's the way to have to go about it. Yeah, got it. So, are you recommending that folks do the tie, the time tested and true SMB up to enterprise, or do you think uh, you just have to know when you need to go enterprise? Yeah, down I to think SMB? you have to know when you go the other way, right? Like, yeah. I think in this case, if you went to someone that you know ten thousand customers and said, "Hey, we're going to get you, you know, another fifteen hundred, yeah, the amount they can pay is not much. But when you're talking with like hundreds of millions of users on on Facebook, yeah, improving experience for thirty million, there's definitely ROI. Huge. Yeah, it's, it's much easier. Awesome. Well, look, Alex, uh, some things to chat about when we continue our IRL events because we're bringing those back. TechTO is in real life all summer long in Toronto and Vancouver. If you're in Vancouver, you got to mark your calendar for June 13th. And if you're in Toronto, you got to circle up June 21st at accessible venues, of course. So you got to come meet and mingle with the brightest minds in Canadian tech with some great food and drinks. You got to reserve your ticket at techtio.org. Alex, I know you were at a Toronto event, TechTO, last night and last week. What's it look like out there? It looks amazing. It's nice to see people in high fidelity, real life, um, and interact with people. And I think, you know, 
it's it's the side conversations that I missed and the mm -hmm. ability to randomly run into people or meet people I didn't know just fabulous. And we had three great uh, chats yesterday with uh, founders that talked about how they've emerged from this thing called the pandemic stronger than, than the, they were going in. I love it. I love it. We heard about um, companies that had to do quick pivots. We heard about in the pandemic, we heard about companies that, um, you know, benefited from the pandemic that had to shut down in the pandemic. And now we've got the ones that are emerging stronger. All right, next up, Forma AI proves that AI can help incentivize salespeople. Okay, what's so cool about Forma AI, Alex? So we've talked about sales enablement. We've talked about AI a lot, but there seems to be two things Forma's doing a bit differently I haven't seen before. One is when you talk about AI, you talk about how AI just makes machines smarter. Then you get really interesting stuff where people say humans and machines are better than machines and humans. Like that's like the chess masters, um, you know, diagnosing cancer and patients. But what I've never seen before, or I can't recall seeing, is using AI to make to incentivize humans. So what Forma is doing is they have used AI to get the most optimized sales incentive programs in real time to make you know real, using real data and the company's uh, strategic goals to incentivize salespeople to achieve the company's goals. That's so that's so it's basically using AI to basically put the carrot for humans. I don't know if that's the analogy they'd want to use. Uh -huh. And I think the second thing here is. A lot of sales enablement is really in making the sales process better and improving this. And there's a bunch of companies and Excel that's used historically to track commissions and track incentives. But this is an area of, of sales that really is underpenetrated. And there's a huge opportunity here that I haven't seen much. Like, let's actually figure out the incentive structure right, correctly. And, and what's underpinning is the insight that... Um the sales comp and sales incentive package isn't one size fits all that depending on your industry, your type, your pricing, the people that work for you, different amounts of. Well, I, I think it's, it's all that. And I think sales, sales at the basic level, salespeople are incentivized by their targets and, are, and how they're compensated. Yeah. And the bigger a company is, the more stakeholders are involved in that. There's HR, there's product, there's a strategy. And mm -hmm. historically, these get complicated and messy and it's a place where humans can only move so fast and the collaboration between all these different people to make what's best for a company and gets right, gets the right incentive is hard. Yeah. So this is basically enable collaboration better by making a better process, but also then takes real data to say, okay, what do, oh, you know, we're underselling this product that actually has a better margin. So what can we do to incentivize that more? Or, you know, so it's basically doing what humans, what does AI do? AI makes decisions cheaper and faster. And to get in sales incentive structure with, and we get 20 different stakeholders takes time. And so now this is able to do both. Well, fast, the proof faster. is in the pudding. Is it successful? Looks like it. Um, they grew revenue by four times in 2021. Wow. Um, you know, their biggest competitor seems to be Excel and spreadsheets. And so they're getting customers like OpenTable, Autodesk, and other large enterprise sales companies. And they just raised a $40 million Series B uh, led by Acme Capital. Yeah, on one hand, you don't want to compete with Excel. On the other hand, there's so much product to be built um, by productizing a spreadsheet. So uh, pretty pretty cool. Hey, if you're building your company and you also want your top line to grow four times in the pandemic, uh, what can you learn from uh, Forma AI? Well, first, the opportunities, like you said, is Excel still can be disaggregated. All these things that we use Excel for, it's it wasn't meant to be used for. So there's still a lot of opportunities to disaggregate Excel. So look for problems that are being solved by paper and pen or Excel. And there's and if it's big enough, there's an easily billion dollar opportunity. I think 
the other thing is, this is a reminder that we're still in the early days of AI and machine learning. Um, as the technology evolves, and we'll find new ways to use it. And you know, it's it's like what happened with mobile. You first start replicating what we did in internet and offline, and you have new use cases. And I think we're this is like one of the first cases I've seen. Okay, this is a really unique problem that can be solved. Couldn't really even solve, and we really didn't think about solving it before. We didn't even realize it was a problem. Um, so use when technology doesn't stop impacting us for decades. And the other thing was, which former AI was in stealth for four years. They didn't raise money. They built the product. They didn't announce it. And, you know, stealth seems to have gone away over the last few years. But my belief in early stage rounds, historically, you didn't want to, the only reason you announce them is either be credible with investors, sorry, credible with um, customers or credible with, or credible with employees. And I think mm. as we see the economic conditions change and it gets a bit easier to recruit employees, that, that, disadvantages of announcing a round are going to outweigh the, the advantage of raising a round. Because once you announce you have round, people click followers, see what's interesting, and, and say, okay, we're going to find a way. There's a problem there. Let's go solve it. So I, I think um, stealth is a bit underrated. It seems a bit like people make fun of it, but I think we're going to see it come back in vogue. I love it. Okay. You know what's cool? Having money in the bank and not necessarily telling people about it. That's what we're going to make cool again. Uh, I love it, Alex. And uh, if you want to learn more about what innovators are doing specifically in Canada. You got to join us for CAE Demo Day tomorrow, Friday, May 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You're going to learn more about all these new technologies and startups that are changing the way we stay connected. You're going to hear from emerging tech leaders on how they're discovering new ways to innovate, solve real challenges, and help us all better use and understand data. Ah, feels like... Uh, right in the Forma AI wheelhouse. We'll also be joined by some established industry leaders from CAE. That's that small $10 billion company that makes high-tech simulations. They're going to be offering tons of their own insights too. You excited, Alex? I am. Can't wait. I'll be there. I'll see you online tomorrow, Friday, May 20th for CAE Demo Day. All right, next we've got some quicker takes. Uh, in the funding variety, first up, round 13 launches the digital asset market fund, I call it the dam, with $70 million USD and two industry veterans. What's going on here, Alex? Uh, it's a new fund by round 13. They're going to be doing 300k to $5 million investments into tech, well, projects that solve the technical problems around scalability, interoperability. Oh, God, that's a nice word. Uh, at, and, you know, building on blockchain. So okay. this is... You know, we don't necessarily talk about all new funds being launched. I think mm -hmm. there's a few things that stick out about this. First of all, round 13 seems to have a new strategy of launching multiple funds, each one based on a different stage or sector. So instead of doing one massive fund, they're doing a bunch of 50 to $100 million funds. Each has a different set of partners. Um, so just find an interesting marketing strategy and fundraising strategy. Second thing is, it feels like we're going to another crypto winter. So don't know... If this is a good thing or bad thing because there's a lot of crypto funds out there who've raised a lot of money in the last six months. And all of a sudden, assets are more cheap. So, well, it depends if they kept their funds in uh, in cash or in some sort of stable coin, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, well, I hope, what, you know, uh, you know I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy some UST. It, no, I'm just joking. Yeah. It, depend, you know, all it has, depends, I guess, how much they believed in their own thesis. <laughs> yeah. Well, well that's the second thing you mentioned here. In this case, the thesis is not to buy crypto 
coins or tokens or NFTs. And uh, everyone wants to buy the picks and shovels, it, it, right? It, yeah, it's a picks and shovels. I actually wish they called it like digital picks and shovels instead of digital asset market fund because it seems like when I heard that, I thought, okay, this is going to be NFTs and tokens is going to be crazy. So it feels a bit, you know, off. Um, mm. And I don't know, for some reason, this feels like a very Canadian approach to this market, which is a good, not a good thing or bad thing, but like I feel in the States, you're going for 70 million, you're doing a crypto fund. You go under your own banner. You call it something that's crypto-like, yeah. not you know. And so, just yeah. that neither here nor there. But I don't know, it feels very Canadian to me. What does it mean if you're in the Texio community? Why do you care? Well, I think a lot of our lot of our uh, communities interested in Web three is interested in building there, and it's here's another door that's explicitly open for the picks and shovels of uh, of the Web three. So you know, you should know they're out there. Call them um, up, get access you know, to that capital, and a, put it to use. Yesterday's fintech event, there was a couple of people building in DeFi. Um, so they, they, I'm sure they should be knocking around thirteen because I, you know, three hundred k to five million gets you know early on. Yeah. It makes sense. That's Bruce, right? Call up Bruce, get yeah. the check. All right, and last up for today, Charge Lab. Charge Lab is announcing a fifteen million dollar US raise thanks to a pivot. It's actually a couple pivots. So let's. So what they do now? They they build software to manage EV charging equipment, and it can be used across a variety of charging networks. So they want to be the EV operating system, and Charge Labs. Feels so like whether it's a uh, it's a Tesla supercharger yeah. or it's the Nissan Leaf or whatever, all your car yeah. Tesla around, they're all plugging into this, and they're the they're the yeah. operating system. Of yeah, them. like I think I think better call call it the Android of of, of mm. charging software. Thanks, Doug. That's a good one. You know, um, yeah. Doug's or what's talking. the what what's the um what's Rim's operating system called? He's more of a BlackBerry fan, isn't he? Yeah, he's Symbian. Yeah. Was so that? Yeah, that's a Nokia one. No, I don't know. I think they use Android. <laughs> that's, now. A no, that's a Nokia um, one. That's <laughs> uh, yeah, Opera. No. Um, uh, but like, what's interesting here is a company, and like, they seem to have been around for a while, and I think they mm -hmm. have. And I remember meeting in the first permutation, they were actually buying, and reselling, and installing charging equipment, hardware, and software. Then cool. they did the pivot, said, "Hey, let's just do the software, and let's sell the software to the building managers." Then mm -hmm. they said, "Well, the building managers are one off." We can make an operating system which we can sell to fleets and enterprises that have cool. multiple locations. So this is a company that understood the space they want to solve the problem in, and they've done multiple pivots to get something that looks scalable and interesting. So, you know, when they're successful, we're talking about them on our, you know, three comma list in a year or two. Do you think so? Yeah, I, I don't know, but I said it's, it's always possible, right? You yeah. think these founders have shown look, EV is a big space. And they've shown they have the resilience to pivot and listen to customers. You like that? You, know, you like a good cockroach? Yeah, I like a good cockroach. But like the, the point here being is, you know, those 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 pivots will be quickly buried away, except for when it's convenient. Because most reporters will say, "Oh yeah, this is like they've been, you know, this is a story." And they don't. Everyone forgets the journey they had to go through to find product market fit. Thank God! Thank God! I can't wait to forget. I can't wait to forget that. And so, what, what is this? Um, what does this pivot slash raise uh, mean for the tech community? Why do Why do you care, Alex? Well, again, if you're trying to build a venture scale business, you know why do they do these two pivots? One, both both these other pivots were very competitive spaces where they had no unique advantage, mm -hmm. and it was not clear how you either scale and or make margin. So, I think sometimes you can have a good product or a good idea. But if you want to pursue venture scale and get interested, again, not every company has to be venture scale outcome. Let's be very clear. We support people bootstrapping. We support, you know, business that get to 10 million revenue and, you know, make a good bottom line. But if you want to do the venture game, 
You may have to have a good idea, but listen to your customers and look for that unique positioning, which allows you to scale and get margin. And yeah. like operating systems to fleets and enterprises is a lot more scalable than yeah. you know, selling to builders and installing hardware. You're you're wearing your red ocean shirt. You got to find yeah. that blue ocean, right? It's a fintech shirt. Oh, it's a fintech. Very Old nice. School. Thanks, Alex. Holy cow. What a week in Canadian tech. As always, got to like and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening so you don't miss one episode. And you got to share your takes with us on this week in Canadian tech. And we'll see you shortly on the TechTO Insider Membership Program. We're in the business of delivering impossible things. We're in the business of delivering things that nobody's ever seen before. If you build that culture, you'll come up with you know really cool and innovative stuff and you know, literally could be in the next multi-billion dollar idea. So this conversation is largely going to be about scaling yourself and scaling your leadership team. I want to talk about one of the biggest struggles that I think a lot of startups face early on, which is building initial traction.